0: Welcome to an AFR Easter special with Dr. Ray Pritchard. Ray is the founder of Keep Believing Ministries and co host of the program Today's Issues on AFR. The title of today's message is Doubters Welcome. And here's Dr. Ray. Do you believe in miracles? Do you believe in honest to goodness, old fashioned acts of God? That's a good question to ask on Easter weekend. Most of us, I suppose, would immediately answer yes. I believe in miracles and I would say the same. Now, if I were to ask you how many miracles you have ever seen, you would probably say, oh, I don't know, I think all of life is a miracle. Or you might say, I finished my income tax last night and that's a miracle. Both those things are examples of the English word miracle, but that's not exactly what I mean when I say, do you believe in miracles? By miracle, I mean those contrary to human possibility events that have no natural explanation. Oh, you say, that kind of miracle. Sure, I believe in that kind of miracle. But now, you're a little more uncertain. By definition, that kind of miracle doesn't happen every day. They happen very rarely, in fact. Even in the Bible, that kind of miracle is not an everyday occurrence. The resurrection of Jesus is exactly that kind of miracle. It is totally unexplainable by any human or natural means. That may be why we don't talk about it very much. We're not sure how it happened. The crucifixion, we can understand. The resurrection, well, that's another matter. Here's the proof. Lots of people wear silver crosses around their necks. You don't see very many people wearing little silver empty tombs. So, do you believe in the greatest miracle of all, the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Now, you may think you have to answer yes, just because you happen to be listening to a speaker on a Christian network. But, if you answer no, or I'm not sure, you are in good company There are lots of people today who aren't sure whether they believe it or not. And, this may surprise you, there were lots of people on the first Easter Sunday who weren't sure either. Folks like Peter, James, John, Matthew, Bartholomew, Simon the Zealot, and a man whose name has become synonymous with doubt, Thomas. Doubting Thomas. In this message, I wanna take a closer look at Thomas because I think he's gotten a bit of a bum rap. As I study his story, his doubt seems very understandable to me. When you read about Thomas, he is usually introduced this way, Thomas, who was called Didymus. Now, that doesn't mean anything to us, but the original readers recognized it immediately. The name Thomas comes from the Aramaic word for twin, and Didymus is the Greek word for twin. Thomas had a twin brother or sister, and twin was his nickname. In the early church, there was quite a bit of speculation about who the other twin might be. Some have suggested Matthew, but no one knows for sure. It's unfortunate that Thomas is remembered solely in a negative light. There is more to this man than doubt. He first steps on to the stage of biblical history in John 11. Lazarus has died in Bethany, a suburb of Jerusalem. Jesus and the disciples are in the area of Jericho, down by the Jordan River, not far from the Dead Sea. That's where they were when they got the word. When Jesus decides to go to Bethany, his disciples remind him that the last time he went to Judea, the leaders tried to stone him to death. It would be suicidal to go back. Jesus decides to go anyway, but the disciples were unconvinced. At that point, Thomas speaks up and says, Let us go also, that we may die with him. That's John 11, verse 16. It's a brief statement that reveals enormous courage. Thomas agreed that the Jewish leaders would probably kill Jesus if he went back to Jerusalem events would soon prove him correct but what can you say about a man who says if they kill him they'll have to kill me too it takes a real man to say that there is love there and loyalty and despair and sacrifice and total commitment it may just be that thomas understood better than any other disciple what was about to happen in that brave statement if you think about it, may explain his later doubts. Thomas appears yet one more time before the crucifixion. It is late Thursday night in the upper room. Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet and has given them the great command to love one another. Judas leaves the room to do his dirty deed. The rest of the disciples crowd around their Lord, knowing the end was not far away to them those loyal men who had stood with him in his hour of trial, Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place I am going. John 14, verses 1 through 4. Thomas has been listening quietly, intently, carefully. All this talk of coming and going is too much for him. It seems vague and mysterious. In a moment of great honesty, he blurts out, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? John 14, verse five. That leads to the great statement of Jesus that has been quoted and proclaimed for 2000 years. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, but by me. But it was Thomas's question that opened the door for that important life-changing declaration by the Lord. When Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Those are the words of a totally honest man. The rest of the disciples were just as perplexed, but only Thomas dared to speak out. We all know people like that. If they don't understand, they won't let it pass. They keep asking until it makes sense. That's Thomas, and that's a second key to his personality. He was an independent thinker, a thoughtful man, not easily stampeded. He wouldn't make a confession of faith unless he deeply believed it to be true. Let others have a glib, easy faith that comes without reflection and deep thought. Not Thomas. His was a faith won through the agony of personal struggle. So, the picture we have of Thomas on the eve of the crucifixion is this. He is a brave man, intensely loyal, and deeply committed to Jesus. If need be, He is ready to lay down his own life. He is no doubt inclined to look somewhat on the dark side of life. He is completely honest about his doubts, confusion, and fears. And, folks, this is most important, he won't be satisfied with second-hand answers. Thus, the stage is set for the greatest crisis of his life. In order to get this in proper focus we got to think about what it was like on that first Easter morning. Now, because we know the end of the story, because we know Jesus rose from the dead, it's easy for us to forget how strange, how confusing it all was for the first disciples on the first Easter morning. It's worth asking ourselves, if we had been there, would we have believed or would we have doubted? Or to put the question another way, What would it take to convince you that someone you loved had come back to life after being dead three days? Suppose it was a close friend or a family member and you saw them die. What would it take to convince you? Or is there any way you could be convinced? Rising from the dead is not a common thing. At best, it hasn't happened for 2,000 years. If we had been there in Jerusalem with Matthew, James, and John, would we have believed those strange rumors that Sunday morning? In answering that question, it helps to remember how those who knew Jesus best reacted to news of the resurrection. Very simply, they were not expecting a resurrection. Now, it's true, quite true, that Jesus had predicted he would be put to death and then raised to life. In fact, there are a number of times in the Gospels where he clearly said he is going to Jerusalem, he would be rejected, he would be beaten, he would be scourged, he would be mocked, he'd be put to death, he would be crucified, and then he would rise again. It's also clear that the disciples, when they heard those predictions, did not understand, couldn't grasp, couldn't get their heads around the idea, what does it mean Well, first of all, they couldn't really understand how Jesus would be crucified, much less the whole idea of rising from the dead. His followers heard his words, but they didn't understand them. A resurrection was the farthest thing from their minds. Forget his predictions. Forget all that brave talk. They had given up. Who really expected a resurrection on that Sunday morning? Not the disciples. It was the Jewish leaders who persuaded the Romans to seal the tomb. The enemies of Jesus feared something might happen. His friends weren't expecting anything. In fact, Mark 16 says that the women who came to his tomb on Sunday morning came to anoint his body. That was part of the embalming process. In the confusion of trying to get the body in the tomb before sundown on Friday, spices had been placed on Jesus' body, but not the ointment. The women came to finish embalming his body. What did they find when they got there? The stone rolled away and an empty tomb. All four Gospels agree on this fact. The women did not have the slightest idea what had happened. They weren't looking for a resurrection. Mark says that even after the angel explained what had happened, they fled from the tomb, trembling and afraid. John says that even Mary thought someone had stolen the body. Luke adds that when the women came and told the apostles what the angel had said, quote, they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense, Luke 24, 11. Nonsense, of course. No one rises from the dead, not after three days, not after being scourged, not after hanging on a cross for six hours, not after having a sword thrust in their side, not after being covered with 75 to 100 pounds of spices and wrapped in a burial cloth, not after being sealed in a tomb. No, the odds are against it it was? Impossible. He was a nice man. He was a wonderful man. He was such a teacher. He meant well. We all loved him. We walked with him as he told those wonderful stories and oh, the miracles he did. We laughed when he told off the Pharisees. How about that time when he did that miracle with the fishes and the loaves? We thought that was great. Sure, he said he would rise again. We all believed it. He even believed it. He had never been wrong before. Why not? He said he was the son of God. We're sure going to miss him. Wouldn't it have been great if he had pulled it off? Nobody would believe it. What a party we'd have. And Mark says, when they heard Jesus was alive, they did not believe it. Mark 16, 11. Who could blame them? If you had been there, Would you have believed it? John tells us that Thomas was not present on that Sunday evening when Jesus suddenly appeared in their midst. The Bible doesn't say why, but I think I know. There are basically two different ways people respond to sorrow and tragedy. Some seek solace in the company of their friends. They want people around to help them talk it out. Others prefer to be alone with their thoughts. Such was Thomas. If it is true, that Thomas realized more than the others what was going to happen in Jerusalem, then it may also be true that he was more deeply hurt. He was not with the disciples because his heart had been crushed. Everything he had, he had given to Jesus, and Jesus is dead. He still loves, still cares, still wants to believe, but his heart is broken. He is not a bad man, nor is his doubt sinful, Deep inside, he wants to believe. Don't put him down too hard. We've all been in the same place. If you wish to call Thomas a doubter, please do not make him out an unbeliever. Some have tried to place him in the company of the skeptics. He does not belong there. Thomas is definitely not a skeptic or a rationalist. His doubts come from devotion to Christ. There is no doubt like the doubt of a broken heart. It's one thing to doubt the virgin birth in a classroom setting. It's something else, to lose someone you love and wonder if there is still a God in heaven. You see, there are two kinds of doubters in the realm of spiritual truth. There are those hard-boiled rationalists who say, I don't believe it, and there's nothing that will make me believe it. Such men enjoy their doubt, talk about it, laugh about it, and get angry when they are refuted. A man like that is not looking for answers. He's looking for an argument. He counts the difficulties, seizes objections, and looks for loopholes. The Pharisees fall into that category. When they ask Jesus for a sign, he refused, calling them an evil and adulterous generation. But there is another kind of doubter. The person who says, I don't believe, but I'm willing to believe if I can see for myself Thomas fits that category. He is not an unbelieving skeptic. Rather, he is a wounded believer. Remember, Thomas didn't doubt the miraculous in general. He had seen many of Jesus' greatest miracles. But this one was too big to take someone else's word for it. He had to see it to believe it. And who could blame him? No one wanted to believe more than Thomas. But he had seen too much. He knew too much. All the facts pointed in one direction. Before Thomas would believe, he had to personally see Jesus. And he had to be sure, 100% sure it was Jesus, not some dream or vision. He had to be sure it was the same Jesus he saw die. That's why he couldn't just take the word of the disciples, not on something like this. He was not unwilling to believe, but unable. Some people are satisfied with the testimony of others. Some are not. Thomas was not. Did he doubt the truthfulness of the others? No, he knew they believed they had seen Jesus. But that wasn't enough. Lots of people think they see things. Thomas couldn't get rid of the suspicion that they had seen a ghost. He could not live with a secondhand faith. He had to see for himself. When he says, unless I touch his wounds, I will not believe, There is much more than doubt. There is love and sorrow and pain and a tiny grain of hope. Thomas stands for all time as the one man who wanted most desperately to believe. If only he could be sure. Can you blame him? Would you have been any different? After all these years, Thomas has gotten a bad reputation. Doubting Thomas, we call him. We tend to look down on him. But not jesus eight days later jesus appeared to the disciples a second time this time thomas was with them jesus speaks to him as to one whose faith is weak not to one who has an evil heart he said put your finger here see my hands reach out your hand and put it into my side stop doubting and believe it's worth noting that Jesus knew all about Thomas's doubts. He knew the raging sea within his heart, and he came just so Thomas could be sure. Jesus did not put him down. He said, go ahead. All you who wonder if it is true, see for yourself, stop doubting and believe. Here is the wonderful truth. Doubters are welcome at the empty tomb. Do you believe in miracles? Do you believe in the miracle we celebrate on Easter? If you answer no, or I'm not sure, then welcome. It's okay to be an honest doubter. If you came that way and want to leave that way, it's okay. When you're ready, he'll be here waiting for you. All that God asks is that men be consistent with themselves. He asked that you give this story the same treatment you give any other story. Sift the evidence, judge the record, and come to a conclusion. Christ never asked us to believe for no reason at all. He told Thomas to check out the evidence and come to his own conclusion. He makes the same invitation to you and to me. Now look, folks, I understand. Ours is a skeptical, jaded generation that has learned to question everything. We've been lied to by people in authority and misled so often by the media and by Hollywood and by the government that we automatically doubt any claims to absolute truth. When Christians declare that Christ is risen from the dead, we shouldn't be surprised when someone says, oh yeah, I saw that on the David Copperfield special the other night. Over the centuries, unbelievers have propounded many theories to explain away the bodily resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus didn't really die. He just passed out and revived in the tomb. That the women went to the wrong tomb. That someone stole the body. The Romans, the Jews, the disciples. That Jesus somehow faked his own death and then pretended to come back from the dead. That the disciples had a mass hallucination and imagined that Jesus rose from the dead. That Jesus rose spiritually while his body remained in the tomb that the early church concocted the whole story, even today there are those who still cling to these outmoded, discredited ideas. We say to everyone what Jesus said to Thomas. Come and see for yourself. Check out the evidence. Read the story with an open heart and an open mind. Stop doubting and believe. When all the evidence has been fairly evaluated, The only possible conclusion will be that on Good Friday, Jesus died and was buried, and on Easter Sunday morning, he rose from the dead. The entire Christian faith hangs on this one fact. Jesus rose from the dead, literally, physically, bodily, visibly. It's all right to doubt, but don't let your doubts keep you away. Come to the empty tomb and see for yourself— When Thomas saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and exclaimed, my Lord and my God. That stands as the greatest testimony given by any of the apostles. It is the climax of John's gospel and it comes from the man who had the strongest doubts. It's a wonderful truth that the greatest doubters often become the strongest believers and the honest doubts once resolved become the bedrock of an unshakable faith. It has been said that no truth is so strongly believed as that which you once doubted. In the history of the Christian church, the greatest doubters have often become the strongest believers. That's why the story of Thomas is in the Bible, so that honest doubters might be encouraged to bring their honest doubts to the empty tomb. Now, one other thing. No one can remain neutral forever. You can bring your doubts to the empty tomb, but you have to make a choice. You cannot stay on the fence forever. Either you believe or you don't. This is Easter. It's a wonderful time to make that choice. It's a great day to stop doubting and start believing. You know that Jesus died. There's no doubt about that. You know he died for you. You know he rose from the dead. The question God is asking you is, what have you done with my son? Jesus said, stop doubting and believe. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the beauty of Easter. We thank you that the deepest questions of life are answered with the simplicity of an empty tomb. Lead us into the garden of the resurrection where we may meet our Lord. May we never live again as if Jesus were dead. May those who doubt doubt no more. May those who doubt now believe and find life through his name. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who died and rose again and who lives forevermore, amen. Thank you for listening to this Easter special with Dr. Ray Pritchard. You can hear more from Ray at KeepBelieving.com. We wish you a happy Easter and a blessed Resurrection Sunday with American Family Radio.